Hey, this is Jim, and you're listening to the podcast edition of the Jim Toth Show. Hear us live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. The Bomber game last night. A missed kick solidifies a win. Lots of things happening in it. We welcome in Blue Bomber Hall of Famer, CFL Hall of Famer, well, Football Hall of Famer, I should say, and our own Doug Brown radio analyst. Doug, how are you? What you make of that game last night? What did, what did, it, what did it leave you with a feeling of when it was over? Uh, the margins are getting tighter and thinner. That is for sure. It was an exciting game. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Normally, uh, you go out to Toronto see a football game, and not a lot of good things have happened for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But uh, it was a great first half, and then it was a little bit agonizing in the second half. But, you know, they did what they had to do, and they got a little lucky. But it is getting uh, more and more difficult to uh, win games uh, with the injury situations and with some of the deficiencies they have offensively. Do you go for it in that instant? And I don't mean in general about the the missed kick. And I, I thought this before the kick. I just, I look at Toronto being one and one. You got the Great Cup champs in town. It's so early in the season. I just think that they should have gone for two points with the defense being gassed. McLeod Bethel-Thompson had never been or looked more sharp all season than he did in that drive that that yeah. almost tied the game. And then I add in the Andrew Harris uh, factor that I don't know if I run it with him for two points, but I definitely play action it to him. Um, I, I just think that I'd much rather get up here this morning, be one and two and go, this is our team this year. I'm going to go for wins like that, that kind of even though we lost, as opposed to getting up and saying, well, we missed a kick and we lost. I think they were still in shock that they had, scored a touchdown on this defense in the fourth quarter so they weren't able to quite figure out they're like whoa we weren't prepared for this we that's why i i don't think they do uh necessarily brian dimwitty didn't have a game plan for actually uh what to do if you score a touchdown on the winnipeg blue bomber defense in the fourth quarter uh one let alone two so yeah it's an interesting uh, uh theory that you present um i think it would be you know, that could have been a turning point for the season of the Argonauts. And, and what a punctuation uh, mark for Andrew Harris if he is involved in the two-point play and the go-ahead uh, score to salt the Bombers away. But uh, ifs and buts, right? So it's uh, it's funny. We talked to Mike O'Shea after the game, and he's like, well, we didn't have to get to the, the, the two points, and now we just want to get out of here. And I'm like, yeah, by the skin of your teeth. <laughs> yeah, I heard the post game with you in, in his interview. As well, and I, again, I'm not. Uh, I know Derek Taylor has the the actual analytics of going for two instead of one, and I don't. I don't buy into doing it as often as Derek it. does. Um, but but I know he loves it and he thinks it should be done all the time. I don't buy into that. I just look at the certain circumstances of it, and and I sort of see at the end of the game, one and one, you're trying to set this new direction with this Argo team, um, and, and I just thought I would have gone for it. Now, look, we know what we know now, so I don't know how it would go over in Toronto or, or the organization if they did go for it and lost that way, but I just thought that would be a great way to set the tone for a team that literally had an argument on the sideline. What would you make of that? Yeah, we were wondering what was going on, and I saw an offensive lineman involved, and then it, was it Brandon Banks, I believe? Yes, so that, yeah. That's not, a, that's not a good matchup if you're Brandon Banks to be involved in. <laughs> with somebody that literally weighs 200 pounds more than you. So, uh, and then we saw pinball and I was like, wow, this is, uh, the heavies are coming out, right? The, the brass are coming down to, uh, to settle things out and threaten people with game checks, I suppose. So that was pretty bizarre. I, I don't know 
uh, what the issue was about. But, uh, I mean, Brandon Banks obviously had some frustrations in that game, uh, particularly the first two passes they threw to him was uh, was an utter nightmare. But uh, he, uh, he was a difference maker in that game as it went on. Yeah, for sure. Um, so are you concerned about this Bomber team with what you saw last night? And as you said, the margins are getting smaller and smaller. Or are you – I was telling earlier today, Doug – I remember years ago when you were playing and the team lost, I think, seven games by three points or less and ten games by seven points or less. And I remember asking you, does it not get frustrating knowing you're that close? And you told me, I feel the opposite. I feel like that tells us we're not close at all, that we can't get a first down to solidify a win in three or four of those losses. And I thought that was an interesting perspective. So I wanted to ask you about what you feel about this team now being 4-0, and but as you said, the margin's getting smaller um, but yet they're still four zero. Yeah, you know it's uh, they're they're victims, I think, of their own success, right? You win two Grey Cups in a row, and everybody wants your players, and every all your players want raises, and uh, you know the Foxes came in and uh, raided the hen house, and you know it's like you look at their receiving core, and you're like, oh, I wish they had a Kenny Lawler and a Darvin Adams and a Lucky Whitehead, and they used <laughs> to have all those guys, you know. And I uh, look at the running backs last night. And I'm like, oh, I wish they had Andrew Harris. But, you know, he's 35 and he's on the other team now. And he's the highest paid running back in the league. So there's, uh, there's certain realities. I mean, that's, that's the nature of pro sports, right? They don't make it easy to win one, let alone two in a row, let alone the unheard of three in a row. But there are obviously some um, um, underwhelming parts of this football team, particularly on offense, right? They have uh, – a ton of talented wide receivers, but they're all seem to be possession type guys. There's nobody there. That's a burner. Nobody's going to take the top off of the defense. Uh, no one that you just want to send on go routes all game and, and watch them run by people. You know, I don't think they have that speed in, uh, in the receiving core right now. And uh, the running game is, uh, is musical chairs and a work in progress, right? We, uh, we got a taste of what it used to look like watching Andrew Harris last night and uh, it's not there either so uh, I know uh, Zach Kolaris you know got here in 2019 and he doesn't have the same weapons right now that he used to so it's uh, you know it's good to see him when the game's on the line he made some clutch throws you know to Greg Ellingson when they need to drive they needed to respond they needed to get a field goal and then he'll take off a lot more when uh, when things are really pressing and urgent he's going to scramble a lot on his own and uh, do his little improv theater dance, but it's uh, it's it's tougher. It's a lot tougher offensively for this football team in 2022 than uh, it was last year, and and even in 2019. Big game coming up Saturday. It's 6 p.m. Central Time, by the way. Earlier I said nine. Thanks for the listener who advised me. It is 6 p.m. Central Time in BC. But before we get to that game, I think we'll we'll tee that up a little bit more once we get later in the week. I did want to ask you about this week of one practice. The travel in, the day, um, you get a practice, you get a walkthrough, and then you got to travel again. Have you ever been involved in a week this short in the CFL and, and what that might uh, hinder the Bombers going into a battle of the undefeated teams? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've definitely, I, I think every team, every player has a situation at least once a year where something like this happens. And the onus is really on the players themselves uh, to take care of themselves. And, like, you got to be in the gym. you got to, like, today has to be a, a bike day, a flush day, right? Get all that lactic acid out, get your body sweating and moving again and, and try to work on uh, reducing your level of soreness. you got to be 
contrast bathing. You got to go in the hot tub. You got to go in the cold tub. You got to be stretching. Uh, you should be lifting weights today. You should be doing some sort of a rundown. Uh, you should be icing. And, and basically all they're going to do from a structure point is, is watching film and uh, the game plan will already be prepared largely uh, by the coaches. They know in short weeks like that, they have to do it ahead of time. So BC has already been scouted. The game plans will be handed out and uh, it's just all going to be mental. So the biggest thing on a short week is always the level, uh, how much preparation and how much time are the athletes themselves taking to invest in their physical well-being because the, the mental aspects don't really change but it's a it's a big hurdle when you're not out there physically going through the motions outside of a walkthrough that all sounded like things i should be doing today and i didn't even play a football game yesterday so um <laughs> I, I, what do you make you of this game yeah what do you make of this game on saturday yeah it's uh you know it's the juggernaut versus the young guns right uh it's uh uh, that's a good. That was a good movie, by the way. I think that's underrated. Young Guns and Young Guns Two. I agree and, wholeheartedly. Uh, yeah, I, I wish I thought about this more because I would draw a whole bunch of parallels uh, to that movie. But you know, uh, Nathan Rourke is is a, a young up and coming gunslinger who's uh, uh, very fast, and uh, he's got a great explosive group of receivers appears to get lots of protection and when it does break down uh, he seems to be able to outrun a lot of people as well so the defense is uh, going to have their hands full and you know uh, god forbid they get in a shootout that's going to present a different kind of challenge that uh, the bomber offense has not yet faced this year so it's uh, that's a big game and a big task for them on a, on a short week obviously bc came out of nowhere this year a lot of people were uh, expecting them to be last in the West, ex- except for the PC Lions. So it is, uh, it's going to be an exciting uh, scenario. I really think the defensive line for the Bombers uh, that didn't have their best game in Toronto are really going to be counted on and really going to be necessary um, to affect Rourke and, and take away his time and really rough him up in the pocket because he's, uh, he's far too confident and relaxed back there. Appreciate the time and insight, Doug, as always. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me on. RRC Polytech has an interesting couple of programs back um, this summer, and one of them is this week's Girls Exploring Trades and Technology course. To talk about that, carpentry instructor at RRC Polytech, Josh Gasick joins me now. Josh, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing excellent. How are you doing? Doing very well. Normally, college instructors are at the beach right now, aren't they? Well, yeah, well, you know, the, some are, some aren't. <laughs> uh, some of us, we get the opportunity to do these camps, and when we do, why not jump at that opportunity, right? For sure. Um, I was fascinated by this when, when I heard about this, that it's not just, as I said, you know, sports camps, swimming camps, those kind of out, outdoors things, uh, that these are some of the courses that, that really beneficial to some kids who have general interests like this. Um, tell us about the one you're teaching and how long it's been going. Uh, so oh, in terms of how long it's been running, it's been running for uh, years now. I'm not actually even sure in terms of the overall time. Uh, the one we're running, so we have right now 14 campers, and the 14 campers that we have, we try to basically introduce them to a handful or a variety of different trades that uh, that are open 
across the board as Red Seal certified trades uh, and other trades that uh, is offered at RRC Polytech. Uh, those trades include, so we have kind of a uh, carpentry and a woodworking side of things. There's sheet metal, there's bricklaying, there's automotive and transportation. Um, just just a really wide variety of trades that we try to uh, introduce them to. And the whole idea behind the campus to try and really spur on the idea that uh, the trades are, are, are a good alternative and something that uh, can be entered if it's something that interests you know the, the students. And what age group is this? So it's for grade seven and eight students. Um, and so it runs for females in grade seven and eight. And we try and uh, get them uh, interested in the vocations early on. How much fun are they having? Uh, so far, they've been having quite a blast as far as I can see. Uh, every every camper here seems to have a big smile plastic to their face here. And we can only hope that it continues to keep going that way for the rest of the week and all through next week. So what are some of the things you're actually teaching them? And I, I know you delved into some of the trades and everything like that, but what say are they doing today uh, as part of this program? Uh, so today what we actually have doing, so we spent this morning, they worked in the robotics lab and also with the welding. So they actually had an opportunity to, uh, to do some programming with some small robotic arms and to actually start to do some of the coding and the uh, manipulation of the arms to control the direct direction of the paths that the machine would travel uh, and how it would maybe manipulate an object. Uh, they also spent a little bit of time. They had an opportunity to do some uh, welding simulations, so to get their hands practicing some welding. And then this afternoon, we're actually spending some time. They're going to do a little bit of actual spot welding and, and build a small project in the uh, automotive department. This sounds amazing. Like this is kind of like a career fair, but a week long and way way more hands on. Am I sort of paraphrasing that well enough? Or I I would say you're spot on. And so they've obviously been doing this for a while. How long have you been teaching it? And, and what is some of the response you've, you've seen over the years? Because this is obviously, we think summer, we think outdoors, we think sports. But for those kids who have this kind of interest in trades and carpentry and all that, this must be a dream come true for those kids. Uh, you know, I would say that for the opportunities, um, you know, I think very generally a lot of a lot of kids and a lot of campers are assumed that, you know, it's always sports orientated or sports minded. And, and we have to really accept the fact that, you know, not everybody is interested in sports. Some people are interested in the idea of, hey, you know, I want to play video games or I want to uh, get my hands on and do some arts and crafts or do some stuff like that. And so it really does provide the opportunity for somebody who is a little bit more, uh, call it hands-on minded or somebody who's a little bit more technologically minded to actually be able to be involved and still meet people with very similar interests. Exactly. I th- that's why I think it's great for the, the different interests kids have. This is phenomenal. Can can middle-aged men take it? Because I know nothing about carpentry and I should have learned from my dad, <laughs> but I never did. Uh, you know what? Uh, unfortunately, this one is just for uh, grade <laughs> seven and eight girls. But, you know, there, I'm sure, are definitely lots of programs out there and, and ways that we middle-aged people can get uh, get involved with our hands on here at RRC Polytech anyway. I'm sure there is. That's just my own laziness for asking. Um, over the years, have you seen this pay off into where they actually registered at RRC Polytech to follow in one of the trades? Like, did the interest... Um, remain that the that maybe not even at RRC Polytech, but later in life you heard from some of the, the students that have come through this summer camp that that made this a, a career choice. Uh, you know that's a great question, and I haven't actually looked fully into uh, where the 
you know, the connection from the get camp into how many have actually transitioned into apprenticeship programs are. Um, but I definitely have seen uh, through some of the different programs that they've been trying to spur on, you know, higher interest for the younger generations entering vocations. We have seen a higher amount of uh, young students that have spent time in those programs coming into the trades and, and apprenticeship programs. That's awesome, Josh. It's a great program, a great initiative in my mind by RRC Polytech and, and really reaches out to those kids that have these kind of interests. So uh, good luck with it. I appreciate you joining us and good luck with the welding project this afternoon. Right on. Thank you very much. Josh Gasick is a carpentry instructor at RRC Polytech. Um, this is a course this week, Girls Exploring Trades and Technology, but there are other courses available. The Jumpstart Digital Art ages 14 to 18, Quick Start Digital Art, ages 12 to 18, and Queer Coded, ages 13 to 18. And all you have to do is go to rrc.ca forward slash youth camps. Once again, if you're hearing this and your kids have interest in this and you're, they're looking for something to do this summer, rrc.ca forward slash youth camps. I think it's a great idea. And and I'm, you know, I obviously I've always been a sports guy growing up, but I remember going to soccer as a kid and and seeing one of my teammates crying because he just didn't want to be there and just didn't like soccer. Um, and I ran into him years later, and he was into, like, model airplanes and stuff. And so I just I just thought of him as I was talking to Josh. I think this is a great um, program that uh, RRC Polytech is putting out for kids that don't have interest in, in outdoor activities or sports and want to get into trades and things like that. So uh, hopefully you found that interesting. I found that fascinating. On a different topic, we welcome into the program uh, First Nations advocate and public speaker, Michael Redhead Champagne. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me today. Yeah, we wanted to talk about um, a couple things, including the rise in youth crime and, and what we're hearing around the city and all that. But first, this final settlement agreement for compensation was reached uh, between the Assembly of First Nations. Tell us about this and why that's important. Well, once upon a time, all the way back in 2007-2008, there was this champion for children named Cindy Blackstock and the First Nations Caring Society who took the federal government to court and said that they were underfunding First Nations children um, in terms of child welfare. Um, in uh, Just a couple of years ago, the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal ruled in their favor, um, in the favor of the Caring Society and the Assembly of First Nations who had joined, joined the case. And what ended up happening was just this week, um, a decision was brought down that talks about, or last week, a number of weeks ago, um, but details uh, we're talking about now, around $40 billion um, regarding to that. Um, and the idea is, Half of it would be to change the child welfare system and make improvements, and the other half um, would be for direct compensation of kids that have been negatively affected by First Nations kids that have been um, affected by this underfunding of child welfare services. I see, Matt. So that's the Cole's notes. That, yeah, that is good, Coles Notes. Thank you, because I was reading about it uh, prior to the show today, and uh, I was wondering how we could get to all that. That's very good, Coles, no Coles Notes, Michael. Thank you for recapping that. Um, I see Manitoba Regional Chief Cindy Widhouse uh, said in the statement uh, she expects the money to start arriving next year. So wh where will this go, the twenty, the half of it, the $20 billion for programs, and, and how will it be dispersed, and, and how will this help with those programs? 
Well, I think that's a lot of the questions that um, community leaders like myself have right now, because it's not entirely entirely clear in the way that the um, the ruling was worded. Um, it's not entirely clear where things are going to flow to. Um, one thing I think that is is important for folks to know is that. Um, the First Nations Caring Society is not financially benefiting, despite the fact that they have done such a, a laborious amount of work uh, in, in relation to this. And their dream um, as the Caring Society, I believe, is just to ensure that each of the children that has been negatively affected gets the minimum amount of $40,000 per person. Wow, 40000 each. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, um I'm a big proponent that that's great. I don't know that money solves everything, but it means something, right? Like to those people who have been affected. It does. I think what this is, is this uh, opportunity for the federal government to make amends for like generations of family separation that have been affecting um, First Nations families. Um, But I think I get concerned. I get concerned um, because I've seen in previous uh, settlements with, uh, many of my own relatives in 60 scoop or Indian residential school settlements where folks get a pile of money, but they aren't provided with financial literacy, system literacy, mental health supports. And as a result, these folks are um, financially taken advantage of. And so something I think that's important here is that we work as a community to provide like trauma-informed, anti-racist mental health support to the folks that are receiving this money so that they can make the uh, best financial decisions and investments that will help them. How is it being received? And I don't mean physically. I mean, like, overall, what are you hearing with the settlement? And and, and is it um, being received well? Is it being received as it's about time? Is it being received as um, that's nice, but it's not enough? How, how is it overall being viewed? I think you, you, you got it pretty good there with the it's about time comment. I think a lot of folks um, believe that if we have things in Canada like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls um, inquiry that have happened that actually have many common recommendations between those two, um, this really is an opportunity for Canada to to make amends. And I know it's, I know that folks are, think it's important to hear folks apologize and say they're sorry. And there have been some apologies that pertain to this, but the best apology is changed behavior. And if we are going to address systems of family separation from the past, we best be making sure that we're not reinforcing and supporting systems of family separation, child welfare um, today. That's what I, I keep hearing from all the great guests we've had on about truth and reconciliation, uh, Michael, not only on my show, but but on the station over the past few months is it's sort of, I don't want to call it apprehension, that's the wrong word, but it, it's like it's a start, but it's more about where we go next month, next six months, next year, next five years, isn't it? It's it, exactly. Um, be about it instead of just talking about it. And so this is an opportunity for the federal government to walk their talk and be a real partner in reconciliation for Indigenous people 
And if they do that, I think that this could be a turning point for reconciliation in Canada and improving the overall livelihood and well-being of Indigenous people. Fair enough, for sure. So this is um, essentially a happy day, but also a day where it's a, a step forward and where we go is, is the next question. Yes, and I just think wherever we do go next, it's imperative that we include um, young people that have been affected at the table. And that's why from a Manitoba perspective, um, I just want to give props and shout out to Voices, Manitoba's Youth and Care Network, who work with young people that are in care and have exited care in the past. And I think they have the expertise that we need to make good choices in Manitoba. Yeah, well said, Michael. Um, we've been talking all day and, and, and yesterday as well about the rise in, in youth crime and, and some of the violence we're seeing. Um, and I just wanted to, at the end of this, on a different topic, get your opinions on, on where we're at right now and, and where we're going and, and what you're seeing, hearing out there and, and what you think we could do better. I think we really have to take a look at crime prevention in the city of Winnipeg as opposed to um policing and so the i just think that we need to have more balanced approach as it pertains to uh, directing city resources towards preventing crime and the social circumstances that lead people to commit crimes as opposed to putting all of our money resources and attention into policing and reacting to that and so that's where things like specifically a city of winnipeg thing that could happen is we could flood the city of Winnipeg with youth recreation passes and give every young person under 18 access to all city of Winnipeg facilities to encourage those young people to be making positive recreational healthy choices with their spare time. So there's one small thing that we could do as the city, but we haven't yet because we are prioritizing policing over prevention. And really, that's the whole, you know, we're at this spot, so we need policing, but then the old chicken and the egg, how did we get to this spot? Maybe we should focus on that. I think it has to be both. I think we have to take a, a measured approach to responding to the things that are happening right now. But also, what's that expression that folks say? Um, we have we have to stop pulling the kids out of the river. We've got to start looking at who's throwing the kids in the river in the first place, right? <laughs> That's that prevention focus. Yeah, I hadn't heard that before. Uh, Michael, I really appreciate your time and especially your insight. I've heard you on some other programs here. It's, it's really good to finally sort of meet you on the air and, and have you on as a guest, and I appreciate you doing this. Well, I appreciate you being so thoughtful and the way you're approaching everything. So thank you, Jim, for what you're doing here and hosting these important conversations that we got to have as a city. They are important. Uh, Thanks again.